on chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in God and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is therefore no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For years, I thought that my relationship with God was primarily based on the the strength, the ardor, the passion of my love towards Him. But then I came to realize that actually, I'd got it completely the wrong way around, that actually my relationship with God depends on his love for me. The stable, sure love that cannot be fully fathomed. It's a liberating truth that our relationship with God does not depend on our love for him which waxes and wanes, but on his love for us. He's always been the prime mover. He created us for a relationship with him, and he's constantly working to take down any barrier to that relationship, no matter what the cost is to himself. He loves to be among his people. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the focal point of that relationship. It stood in the tabernacle and then the Holy of Holies in the temple. It started out as a simple carved wooden box that contained some very important artifacts to the people of God, such as manna, the tablets of the law of Moses, and Aaron's miraculous rod. 
As time passed, the box became more ornate. It was layered with gold and decorations. And so too, as time passed, with each passing generation, the, the thinking about this relationship with God and the Ark of the Covenant's role in it also developed over time. And gradually what happened was that the, the Ark of the Covenant was seen as a, as a seat. It was seen at the top of the Ark of the Covenant was actually the most important part of it because it was seen as the place where God ruled, that this was His throne. This was the place where heaven touched earth. And so it became known as the mercy seat, the place where God was to be encountered. And the primary word that illustrated what it meant to meet God was to find mercy. And so on the Day of Atonement, the, the great Jewish festival, the day of Yom Kippur, the high priest would sprinkle blood from a sacrificed animal on top of the Ark of the Covenant on this mercy seat and ask the Lord to cleanse his people of their sins, to remove any barriers for the, from the relationship. But as the writer to the Hebrews says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so the Lord, eager to be close to his people, did a new thing. He inaugurated a new deal, a new covenant, a covenant that still involves a blood sacrifice, a high priest, the forgiveness of sins, and the meeting of God with his people. Now the new mercy seat is the cross of Christ. The sacrificial blood is that of the Son. And Jesus himself is the great high priest. And the sacrifice was once for all. It was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And it opens up for us a relationship which prior to Christ's coming was unprecedented. Jeremiah foretold it in declaring, this is the covenant I will make with them at that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And so from the loving initiative of the Father, through the sacrifice of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord has brought about a new meeting place. It's a meeting place that has been opened up to us through the Son, but is conveyed to us through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The new meeting place is within the enthroned place of Christ in the heart of the believer. As Jeremiah was saying, it's going to be this deep internal work where we actually amazingly have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so it's a place where our hearts are actually changed. The prophet spoke about a heart of stone being turned to a heart of flesh. And so amazingly, we have this relationship with the Father, and the meeting place is no longer in the tabernacle or in the temple. It's in the new temple among the people of God. It's the place of the mercy seat, the place where the heart of a human being submits to the one Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. That's the new meeting place with God. 
and it's been made so it's accessible to every single human being because every single human being has an internal life and a heart. And so this, this relationship is open to people of all languages and all nations. Anyone can meet with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Sometimes, perhaps often, however, we live as if we are unloved. We wander off like, like the prodigal son in search of conditional earthly love. And when we do that, we become disconnected, or at least we, we begin to forget what it means to be connected to the source of all love, our Heavenly Father. Christian writer Henry Noyan described it, described this struggle in this way. Constantly falling back into an old trap before I am fully aware of it. I find myself wondering why someone hurt me, rejected me, or didn't pay attention to me. Without realizing it, I find myself brooding about someone else's success, my own loneliness, and the way the world abuses me. Despite my conscious intentions, I often catch myself daydreaming about becoming rich, powerful, and very famous. All of these mental games reveal, reveal to me the fragility of my faith, the faith that I am the beloved one on whom God's favor rests. I'm so afraid of being disliked, blamed, put aside, passed over, ignored, persecuted, and killed, that I am constantly developing strategies to defend myself and therefore assure myself of the love I think I need and deserve. And in so doing, I move far away from my father's home and choose to dwell in a distant country. In that reading that we've just read, John speaks about, well, how, how can we know that we have this relationship with the Father, this internal relationship, this, this place of heart transformation? And he says, the reason why we know is because in this world we are like Jesus. It's quite a statement for us both one which is very inspiring, but also uh, somewhat challenging. That the way that we come to know that this reality in us is true is because in this world we are increasingly becoming like Jesus. Jesus, the one who would have lived in a complete place of assurance of his heavenly Father's love. And so when Henry Noyan speaks about uh, dreaming of becoming rich, powerful, and very famous, we know in the temptation of Jesus that Jesus completely declined those temptations. 
We know that when it came to a place of fear, of being disliked or blamed or set aside or passed, o- passed over or persecuted or killed, Jesus did not flinch. The Spirit of God is at work in us to drive out fear. And what does fearlessness look like? Fearlessness looks like Jesus Christ. And where does fearlessness come from? Fearlessness comes from knowing that we have never been unloved. If we want to know the secret, the open secret of what made Jesus Jesus, of what made him and that person the Son of God, and yet one who divested himself of all the majesty and an opportunity of God and rely completely on what it meant to be a human being in whom God's Holy Spirit had come to dwell? The answer is that Jesus was entirely confident that he had never been unloved. He was entirely confident in the love of his heavenly Father. You have a Father who has loved you since before you were born. He loves you with an intensity that you cannot imagine. He will always love you. Come what may, his love will not falter. His love will not change. No matter what you think or do or say, he will always love you. You are the apple of his eye. In Christ, you are his beloved child. He rejoices over you with singing. So I'd love us just to spend a moment in prayer just to reflect on the wonder that you have never been unloved. Your Father has loved you since before you were born. He loves you now. He will always love you. Let us pray.